0: spring late in the spring i felt particularly ambitious and decided that i was going to have not just a garden but a big garden and we had thank you we had the room at the time to do that and i had a garden that year of oh i guess it was about 50 feet long by about 30 feet And all kinds of things. There were beans. There was corn. There was tomatoes. There was broccoli. In addition to that, I bought some blueberry bushes. I bought some plum trees. And at some point during that time that spring became summer, uh, our family went away for like a week. And there was a little bit of rain, and there was a little bit of sun, and there was then a little bit more rain, and a lot more sun. And I came back like either seven or eight, nine days later, and there was all kinds of weeds. All kinds of weeds. There were more weeds than there were bean plants and tomato plants. And I remember how discouraged I was with that. How many of you have ever done gardening? So some of you know what I'm talking about. And if you're going to have a successful garden, what do you have to do? Prune, water, weed. A lot of weeding. A lot of weeding. And I want to talk about Two particular, they're one of these moments where two particular big terms that I'm going to use, and you may remember them, some of you will, some of you won't, you'll just stumble completely over them, but they apply to what we're going to be talking about in Romans 8 coupled with Romans 6, because the problem that most of us have even those of you who have been Christians for a while, is a good bit of our lives have been like that garden that's going unattended and weeds have been growing, right? We call those things bad habits. We don't call them weeds. We call them bad habits. Talking earlier with a friend of mine. And one of his bad habits is there's a tendency on his part to think negatively about a lot of things. So you can throw something out there, and he's trying to dissect it in terms of what you really meant. And when he does that, he goes negative. Some of you worry about everything. You've gotten great. You're, you're world-class warriors. Some people at Lamb Foundation are world-class... What's the word I want for somebody that's constantly talking about their ailments? Hypo- hypochondriac. Some of you are great as hypochondriacs. I have one younger friend who's in her mid-50s and I kid her, but I only kid her a little bit because I mean what I'm telling her a lot. I say, you know what? You've become like an 80-year-old person in a 55-year-old body. She says, what do you mean? I said, can't talk to you without you talking about every single doctor's appointment and every single new med. And every single thing down the pike. I said, what happened to the person who came here a few years ago? Who was just always upbeat about everything. Now you talk about, you know, I got to go to my cardiologist. And I got to go to my urologist. And I got to go to, you know, the person who works on my pain. And oh, Pastor Bill, I got three new meds. And make sure that, you know, I get those when you give them out. They've gotten really good at that. Because the weeds in their lives are choking out some of the joyfulness that otherwise they would have because they haven't been weeding. Well, the Bible doesn't talk much about weeding, but it does talk about something, and here's the first word. Mortification. Everybody say that with me. Mortification. What it means is that you and I are to put to death the sin that remains in us. We're not to let it rear its ugly head. What that means is practically speaking, if you're walking down the highway or you're walking down the sidewalk, and somebody's coming the other way towards you, and they're not moving out of the way, and at some point you say, excuse me, and you give them passage so that they don't bump into you, and their response instead of saying thank you says instead, F you, and they might do that. How are you gonna respond? how are you going to respond? If you call yourself a Christian, how are you going to respond? There you go. But that's hard to do, isn't it? Because sometimes we just want to wring their necks, don't we? Some of you saw a couple of weeks ago here. Margaret was here at the time. John may have been here. I think you were. At the time. One of the people, sometimes we give timeouts to people, right? We try to work with folks, but this person was having a bad moment at another part of town where they live, so they had a timeout which meant they're coming here for the day. No picnic for the staff here, we got to deal with it. And that person came in, sat right over here, I'm back there. I called to her. I asked her a question. And she immediately went off the rails. F you, Pastor Bill, at the top of her lungs. I said, Excuse me? Couldn't believe it. Kept it up. Kept it up. And I came over and I got right in her face. And I said, We're not putting up with this today. Staff is not putting up with it. I'm not putting up with it. You are either going to cooperate with us, but if you're going to be like this, I will call the police immediately. And if need be, we'll have you committed immediately. Because you're generally not like this, but we're not going to put up with it. But I didn't say it that calmly, did I? It was one of those moments. I wanted to wring her neck. I really did. I mean, I went off like a rocket and those who around me saw me go off in a way that they generally don't see me go off. But I had had it. I couldn't believe, it was the beginning of the day. We came in, it was a beginning of a day. How is the beginning of a day a bad thing at lamb? Generally, it takes at least five minutes She didn't have have five minutes, it was two minutes, two minutes in, and she's screaming at me and telling me this and telling me that and saying, you're not even a man of God. I said, what on earth are we talking about? She was having a bad day. Two hours later, she was very apologetic with me. But at that moment, it was F you this and S that, and oh my gosh. And I wasn't even taking the time to, Lord, give me grace right now to to be kind to her. All right? It was kind of like, Lord, I got this. And the Lord said, watch. Watch how quickly you mess this up. And I did. And I did. And at some point, I had to go back to her and say, what I said to you was right. How I said it to you was totally wrong. And she said the same thing. Now, she's since been hospitalized, and I have a better clue as to what was going on with her. Part of it was meds, part of it was a UTI, part of it was a couple other things, and part of it because I know her history is probably just some lingering, we'll call them weeds, even though they're not weeds. Coupled with the fact that she's not a Christian. But what we're talking about for the Christian, the Apostle Paul talks about in two places, and I'll focus on both of them briefly. Paul says, first of all, as we're in Romans chapter 8. And let's pick up at verse 12. Brothers, we have an obligation, but not to the sinful nature, to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So what he's talking about there is you need to actively be involved in this process of mortification which is putting to death the sinful you that remains. All those years of those sinful weeds cultivating. A good bit of it's still there, isn't it? A person who's abused substances, alcohol, meds, or not meds, drugs, may become a Christian, and those things don't always drop off as quickly as we'd like to see. A person who struggles with anger becomes a Christian, and anger is still there. A person who overeats may still be an overeater for a time. And Paul is saying Christian, brother, sister, you need to be about the business of putting those things to death. You can't simply excuse yourself and say, that's just the way I am. He's saying Christ died for you to learn to be free from those things. You need to put them to death. That's exactly what he's saying here. Those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Are you led by the Spirit? What does that mean? It doesn't simply mean you get up in the morning and you wait for the Spirit to zap you and say, Oh, now I have the Spirit. It means you actively engage your soul, your mind with what God says, and then you ask for help to be able to do it. What would have happened differently had when that person gone off on me, instead of me going off then on her, I simply would have taken 30 seconds, a minute, and walked away and said, Lord, this is a tough situation right now. I need your help to deal with that person and what they need and to do it in a way that sets a good example for my coworkers here or other folks here that know me to be a Christian. I didn't do that. Instead, it was, "Lord, I got it." No, I didn't say and, you know, I didn't say actively in my head or in my heart, "Lord, I got it." The way I acted demonstrated that, "Lord, I got it." I don't Lord, I'm good. I'm good. Remember little Johnny, I use little Johnny all the time as an illustration. Little Johnny in the Walmart, okay, it's 30 degrees outside. Mom's done shopping, they've gone through the register. Little Johnny's been walking around with mom for an hour. He's happy because he's got his little candy bar, his little toy. But now they're going out to the car, it's 20 degrees, 30 degrees, and mom sees little Johnny, doesn't have on his jacket. What's little Johnny do? Little Johnny, let me help you with the jacket. Little Johnny grabs the jacket out of Mommy's hands, and he goes like this. Watch me. I got it. Mommy, I got it. I'll do it. And she's in a hurry, and she doesn't have time for that. But Little Johnny wants to do it his way. Now, that's a perfect illustration because, folks, that's exactly what you and I do all the time. We got it. And God says, you don't got it. Are you not listening to Paul? Paul says, unless you're doing these things by the Spirit, you're not going to do them. You're just not. And then Paul says, remember what I wrote earlier in the book of Romans? Folks, go back to chapter 6. And begin at verse... Fifteen. shall we continue to sin because we're not under law but under grace by no means don't you know that when you offer yourselves to somebody to obey him as slaves you are slaves to the one whom you obey whether you are slaves to sin which leads to death or to obedience which leads to righteousness but thanks be to god though you used to be slaves to sin you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. So he's saying, on the basis of that, I don't want to hear any excuses. If you're not mortifying the flesh, if you're not putting it to death, you're being spiritually lazy. That's really what he's saying. But he wants us to hang our hat not simply on that big word, mortification. Everybody say it with me again. Mortification. Put to death. There's another word that doesn't appear anywhere in the scripture. It's a theological term, and it's this. Vivification. Say that with me a little harder. Vivification. And what that means is, do whatever is necessary to sustain life. Now let's go back to, you have a garden. Your life is a garden. Okay? It's going to bear fruit of some kind. It's either going to bear good fruit, or it's going to bear bad fruit. And think of the good fruit as the fruits and the vegetables in in a fine working garden. And the bad fruit being all the weeds and the stuff you don't want. So, in order to have a good garden, what do we need to do? A few things. On the bad side, we got to get rid of the weeds, right? Got to till up the soil sometimes if it gets too hard. Because sometimes when the sun bakes away and bakes away and bakes away, that soil becomes like brick, doesn't it? It sure does. And you got to till it up again. And then you pray. You pray that God does what? Sends the rain and the sun. And if that happens, what's going to happen? You're going to have beans, and you're going to have cantaloupe, and you're going to have corn, and you're going to have blueberries, and you're going to have plums and all that. But if God doesn't bring rain, and sun, what happens? You better do something. You better do some watering. You can't create the sunlight, but you may have to then fertilize some more. In order for all of those things to grow, otherwise you're going to have a bad crop. So on the one hand, in the Christian experience, You have to mortify, put to death certain things. And on the other hand, the idea of vivification. What are some of the things that you and I need to do to produce life and fruit in our lives? Read the Bible. Bible. Pray. Thank Thank him. Be around other people that have the same struggles and have them pray. Come to church. What does coming to church have to do with it? God says you don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You get together with God's people. One of the pastors that that I follow a great deal, and I have high respect for, just did a sermon the other day, and he was talking about how some people are are substituting Zoom for church. And he said Zoom isn't church. That's not church. People are now staying home, and I'm just going to watch the church service on Zoom. He says that's not what God ever intended. He intended for God's people to get together with who? God's people. Not watch it on TV, not watch it on their computers. Last year, when Donna and I chatted, she said, When are you going to re- restart things? at Lamb, and I said, we're going to start them pretty quick, and we did, and we have, and we'll continue to do that, I mean, short of a disaster, I don't see us shutting down any further than what we did early on, and the other churches have, and many of them have have really continued doing things from afar, St. Peter's regularly doesn't have service, St. Luke's is doing services now. The Catholics have been better than most of the churches. The Baptist Church, I think, is back operationally. But many churches throughout the land, throughout Pennsylvania, and throughout the United States. It's like, see us on Facebook. Send us your checks. If you don't want to send us your checks, do it on Venmo. Send us the card numbers for your... For your um, credit cards. And people are calling that church. That's not church, folks. This is church. It may not look like a church. We don't have a steeple and never will on this building. We got drawings and paintings. Some are nice and some are silly. And if I could change it, I would probably and have some nice artwork and photographs in here. But during the week, We don't meet like this. We meet like this once a week. (coughs) Twice a week if you count the Bible study that we do on Tuesday. But other than that, it's a clubhouse. It's a place where people meet. But this is the church. You are the church. I am the church. The church are the people of God. Those who are the called out ones. That's exactly what church means. It doesn't mean a building with stained glass and a red door and a nice sign out front that says, Welcome, and our services are. That's not a church, that's a building. 2,000 years ago, there were no church buildings. People met in houses. Many of the times they just met in secret because they lived under an authoritarian government called the Roman Empire that was interested in you bowing down and and paying homage to Caesar and regarding Caesar like God. And God's people said, no, we're not going to do that. So where did they meet? They met in people's homes. They met in people's homes. Why? Because they knew that if they met in something other than secret, They'd be in a position that many lost their lives. Many were martyred, put to death, because the Roman government didn't want any competition. So Paul is talking about mortify the flesh, that which is getting in the way. I have people from time to time telling me about, you know, I can't stand the other people in my house. Okay, well, either learn to like them or ask to be relocated. We can do that in Lamb. On the other hand, sometimes I get somebody saying, I have a relative, and they're on the phone with me, and and when they're on the phone with me, they're constantly yelling at me. They're talking down to me. They're treating me poorly. Mm -hmm. Pastor, what should I do? Know what I tell them? What do you think I tell them? Hang up. Hang up. When they call again, hang up again. When they call again, hang up again. And if they say, why do you keep hanging up? You can feel free to say, listen, I'll tell you what. I'll let you talk to my pastor. Because I'll talk to them and then I'll hang up on them. Because you shouldn't have to put up with that. I mean, I have, I have friends, I have acquaintances in Lamb Foundation. Quite frankly, the only reason you put up with some of the people in your lives is because it's become habitual. But some of the people in your lives, I wouldn't put up at all with, and I don't. And when somebody's insistent, or they're snotty with me, or they're vulgar with me, and I've had that from time to time with relatives that call And they say, who am I talking to? I'll say it this way. It's Bill Rudolph, and that's R-U-D-O-L-P-H. And get the spelling right when you write the email to Donna. Because I'm not putting up with your noise, and then I hang up. And then I have a better understanding of what you're putting up with. I'm not interested in you being treated like that by family or friends or anybody else in your lives. But that said... Then the flip side is, be a person that consistently comes here. Not just when there's nothing else to do. I mean, I really would like every week to see the same faces and then add to. What drives me crazy is when I see, and I'm thinking of one person right at the moment, top of mind, that I will see her in a couple of weeks, three weeks, four weeks from now, And at some point, she'll be thinking one afternoon, and she'll say, Pastor Bill, can I go to church? And I'll say, we'll be there to pick you up. And then on the way over here in the van, she'll say, Pastor Bill, when I'm over there at the clubhouse for church, can I stop over at the Wawa for 10 minutes? She really just wants to come to Wawa. My guess is it's toward the end of the month. She's already run out of money. But the beginning of the month, she'll be good for Wawa again. To which the last time she did that, I said, listen, I, you know, you're welcome to come every week. How are you going to grow? How are you going to grow? See, Jeff rattled off a few things. Get together with the people of God. Learn the hymns when we sing them. Pray. Encourage. Don't wait for somebody to say, I'll pray for you. You ask them, how can you pray for them? There's as many needs as there are people. Right now, there's 24 of us sitting here, I think, by my count. That means there's 24 different sets of needs. And beyond that, let's say each of you, let's just simple math. Five people that are important to you which means 5 times 24 is 120 people that we could be thinking about and praying about this coming week, right? Even if all I'm doing is saying, Lord, help me to remember the people that are important to Joey, that are important to Margaret, that are important to Carolyn, and so forth. Whatever the needs are in their lives, Lord, they're important to these people Lord, have mercy on them, and whatever those needs are, remember them for the sake of your people who regularly come here. That's the vivification part. It's what can I do to add spiritual life, spiritual example in my interactions with others. There's a person at Lamb that I get together with occasionally and take her to see one of her children because it's important to her. And because it's important to her, it's become important to me. And it's become important to me in this ministry here. That these are the kinds of things that I want us to do. I'm not interested in simply we preach, we sing a few songs, we leave. Okay? There are people who in Lamb are cold, who need blankets, who need coats. There are some of you who work, who are able to give. Some of you aren't. But quite frankly, and I'll just say it this bluntly, and if it steps on some toes, I'm fine with that too. Those of you who smoke, and some of you smoke like chimneys, let me make a suggestion. Smoke a little bit less and give a little bit more to the collection plate so that we can do more for the kingdom. I mean, money has come in this year, and we've spent between five and six grand. That's thousands on various things throughout Lamb. And some of those things have benefited LAM directly, and some of those things will broaden. One of those things that we've started and will continue is grief share, for example. That eventually will be something that is offered to the community without charge, Shepherd's Chapel buys the textbooks for that. They're $15 a piece. Shepherd's Chapel bought the TV. Shepherd's Chapel bought the videos. Shepherd's Chapel has added over this past year, I think maybe 20 to 25 videos that you're welcome to use on a regular basis. All you need to do is talk to me about it. Some of you could gain the equivalent of like a college education or a seminary education with what we have available. You'll see people wearing green beanies and and maroon beanies and navy blue beanies, and they'll have on their gloves compliments of Shepherd's Chapel. Am I tooting Shepherd's Chapel's horn? I'm not because we do those things all by God's grace. But those things have happened because of faithful giving here that will continue. And I want it to continue. Again, I'm not simply interested in doing that with lamb. Lamb's an easy target to do that with because there's a lot of needs. But quite frankly, folks, there's a lot of needs in the community there's a lot of needs in the community one that i've mentioned before you don't know about at all happened one sunday afternoon there was a couple with two little kids they were traveling from one state to the next state kids were hungry the wife was sick the kids were sick they hadn't eaten for a day or so or at least they said and again i'm going to i'm going to side on the side of mercy and belief rather than being cynical. Shepherd's Chapel put them up for the night at a hotel, gave them money for the hotel, gave them money for food, gave them money for gas. How come? Because we're people that God has blessed so much. And has given us a surplus to be able to bless others. Even though we're a tiny little congregation of 25 people. Think of that. But 25 people that regularly meet that two years ago weren't meeting. Didn't exist. I'm hoping in the next year, as it's around Thanksgiving time, Instead of 25 people, we'll have 50. How will that happen? By you being a blessing to others. By you reaching beyond your comfort zone and telling people, come on Sunday. Watch the videos on YouTube. Listen to them on Spotify. You might even say this, and if you do, I'll just say thank you. Pastor Bill's a pretty good preacher. And occasionally they do fun stuff like have ice cream socials and make us wear warm hats and gloves. But let me just say this to all of you. Lastly, If any of you have any particular needs that extend beyond you to family or friends, please speak to me privately about those things. And if Shepherd's Chapel can be of assistance there, we will be as well. I hope to see many of you on Wednesday at 5.30 here. We'll be doing the van run starting at about quarter of five. And we'll have everybody back, Lord willing, by about 7 o'clock. It will be no more than an hour. And again, the emphasis will be strictly on, you know, thanksgiving. And, you know, Not just saying thanks, just in general. You know, there will be a lot of that on the radio this week. It will be people saying, oh, I just want to give thanks. I got neat kids and, you know, my spouse is terrific and I love my job. But none of them are saying thanks to God. Come on Wednesday and be prepared to thank God for something. And be specific. I will be. Some of you already have some things in mind. I hope you'll share them and be bold. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your mercies and for the kindnesses that you show us again and again for this time. We pray your blessing upon each one and upon Lamb Foundation and upon the earlier needs that we've broached. We commit these things all to you now in Jesus' precious name and thank you for visiting us here, believing that when two or three are gathered in your name that you in fact are with us. We thank you for that truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everybody.